0: Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. Honoring Hispanic heritage shouldn't be limited to one specific month. So though the time set aside to celebrate generations of Hispanic Americans that have influenced and contributed to our nation has ended, Equal Time thought it was appropriate to reflect on the issues and challenges facing the community and the country now and into the future. We invited two well-versed guests for this important conversation. Larry Gonzalez, an experienced participant in policymaking at the federal and state levels, is a founder and principal of the Raven Group, a national public affairs and strategic communications firm with deep roots in advocacy, political, and media spaces, particularly among the LGBTQ community and communities of color. He is the former head of the Washington, D.C. office of the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials, a nationally recognized association of more than 6,000 public officials, and was D.C. director of its educational fund. Teresa Puente, who teaches journalism as an assistant professor at California State University, Long Beach, has spent her career reporting on immigration and Latino issues in the U.S., and has also reported extensively from Mexico. She is opinion editor of Calo News, and her recent journalistic work has been published in outlets including Time, The Guardian, The Daily Beast, and The Miami Herald. She has served on the board of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, the California Chicano News Media Association, and Journalism and Women Symposium. And she is a mentor editor with The Op-Ed Project. Welcome to Equal Time, Teresa and Larry.
1: Thank you so much for, for the invitation, Mary.
0: Thank you for inviting me. What do you wish that people would understand about your experience as a person of Hispanic heritage living in the United States?
2: Teresa, why don't you go first? Sure. I've written about this also in some of the opinion columns that I've published. but. One thing I'd like for non-Latinos to understand is that we're not all immigrants. About 80% of Latinos are U.S. citizens. And there was a recent poll um, that found that most U.S. Americans who were not Latino thought that Most Latinos were undocumented. So that's just one thing that when we also see media narratives, the main story about Latinos is immigration and usually undocumented immigration. And that is an important story. It's one that I've reported on myself. I was one of the first journalists in the US to report on Dreamers more than 20 years ago for the Chicago Tribune. But that's not the only story about our community. It's just A portion of our community, it's an important portion of our community that we also have to shine a light on immigration policies, but not just stories of of people at the border, but stories of immigrants contributing to the U.S., whether that's through businesses or running for office or being college professors. So that's really what I'd like people to realize, that not all of us are immigrants.
0: So there's some basic facts that people get wrong. That's really interesting. Larry, what would you add to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely would echo what uh, Teresa said, but also that there is a, a great amount of variety and diversity even within the community. So, you know, <laughs> I think we still run into these situations where people go, oh, well, they're Spanish. And we're like, no, Spanish Spanish is a language, not, not an ethnicity. Um, and so they don't often aren't able to differentiate between, you know, Mexican-Americans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans. And even among I'm Mexican-American, grew up in the city of Chicago, uh, which is the second largest uh, Mexican population outside of L.A. Mexican L.A. Mexicans are different than Texas Mexicans, than, you know, other Mexicans um, throughout the country in Chicago. They came from different places. My parents came from my mother was from uh, uh, the state of Jalisco, Right. And so on and on and on. And I think that's a big piece. But I I think I just want to really want to echo what Teresa said. It is changing in the media, the portrayals of Latinos, but it's still not at least quite fast enough for my liking. There's still far too many portrayals of Latinos and Latinas as maids, drug dealers, that sort of thing. And not enough that we're lawyers, we're doctors, we're working in Washington, D.C., affecting public policy, that kind of thing. Um, And we definitely need to see more of that.
0: That's a good point. You know, as someone myself who has lived in both Arizona and New York, you see a little bit even about the diversity of all the cultures uh, between those two places and also within those uh, two areas. Now, what would you say are some of the most pressing issues that the Hispanic community uh, is facing today? And you talked a little bit about that, Teresa, when you said that folks are interested in immigration, but there's so many other issues.
2: Right. Um, well, I'll just echo, like Larry, I'm also from Chicago, but now I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for around seven years. So that gives me another perspective on the Latino community. And, um, and actually different polls have shown that um, Latinos are concerned about housing, particularly here in California, the high cost of housing, um, about jobs, about health care, you know, about a lot of the issues that all U.S. residents are concerned about. Um, Immigration is important, but usually in a lot of polls, it's not in the top three, um, unlike what people might assume. So a lot of the issues that are important are, are again, housing, um, jobs, health care. Now, Larry, would you say that
0: many people uh, in different Hispanic communities look at some of these issues through uh, different lenses or from different perspectives?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all about where you grew up, how you grew up, whether you had uh, sufficient, you know, household resources. Uh, did both parents work? I mean, I guess I would say this, Mary. Generally, it it is ultimately the American experience. I mean, that's the original reason that that folks come here. And I think, you know, going back to your original question about what do we want folks to understand is ultimately we came here for this, we've come to the United States for the same reasons. And that is for a better life, to access, as Teresa said, educational opportunities, to get health care, to get a good job, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, there's no question. I I would add one piece to uh, what Teresa said about the issues that matter. I mean, when you go to the Southwest, and you talk to Latinos. I mean, climate is a very serious issue, and that tends to move the needle a lot in places like Colorado and Arizona and New Mexico and Nevada and California. Uh, very, very deeply engaged in climate-related issues. So, so yeah, it just depends on you know where you're from. If you're from an urban area, uh, one of the things I think is interesting is you're seeing the population of the Latino community also move into you know more rural um, areas now as well, and so. That would be an interesting development to see how that sort of develops as, as the community continues to mature.
0: It's interesting when you bring up climate as well, because we've seen in Florida, many communities too uh, have been hit by that climate issue, which is that and affordable housing, which is something that you brought up. These are some things for the future for all of us. Now, of course, the month is a time for celebration and recognition, so what are some of the ways that Hispanic communities have influenced our everyday culture and society that some people may may not realize? What would you say, Teresa? <laughs>
2: uh, well I mean the cult the language, I mean they're just the you know, um we one thing is you know the language, Spanish is like a, a second language here in the U S and there might be some people that don't like that, but I think it just shows that we are more and more a bilingual and bicultural society. Um, and, you know, some people sometimes think, Oh, English is the official language of the U S, but actually it's not. The founding fathers never wanted it to be. Um, but then you see sometimes in some places movements to have English only um, And in uh, in just different, especially local places. Uh, But that's just never was the intention of the Founding Fathers. So I think like the language and um, and the culture are just uh, strong. Um, components, the food, you know, I, I don't think you can't, you really can't go anywhere in the US and not find tacos.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, there's some places on the East Coast or Miami where they may not be as good as they are. Oh, they might get an <laughs> argument. Well, well no, they just because, um, just because of the, the Latino diversity, right? Yes. More people of Mexican heritage are in the West or Southwest and more people of um, Puerto Rican and Cuban and Venezuelan tend to be more in Florida to New York. Although I, you know, I once did a road trip, um, across the U S several years back. And one of the things I was looking for on this road trip was where can I find the Latinos? And I'll tell you, in my road trip, I found Latinos obviously in the West. Um, but I found Latinos in Iowa. I found Latinos in Georgia, um, I found Latinos in Maine. So the, my point, too, is that our contributions to the country are everywhere. There are Latinos of um, different backgrounds and different um, nationalities of origin in every state in the U.S. And that is one thing that obviously we've seen a lot of um, anti-Latino, specifically anti-Mexican political rec- rhetoric because you know why. and But despite that, we're here, we're in every state, and we're part of this country, and uh, we're not going anywhere. And
0: Larry, uh, you know, with African American History Month, of course, and the museum on the mall, there's a push because there were so many facts and Uh, influences that Americans, many Americans did not know about the African American community and about blacks in America since its beginning. So what would you say are some of the historical things uh, that perhaps people don't know about uh, the ways in which uh, the cultures have built this country? And I know we talked a little bit about a museum as well.
1: Uh, I would start by saying first, salsa outsells ketchup now in the United States. <laughs> start there. Uh, no, that's a, that's a really great point. And it's an exciting time. I don't know. I wanted to share with your listeners um, and want to give a little kudos, uh, not a lot of kudos to my colleagues here at the Raven Group who have been working so hard on uh, trying to build an American Latino museum on the mall here in Washington, D.C. And so much progress has been made. Um, But, you know, in in a similar experience with the African-American Museum, it took, you know, 50 years. I think maybe we're on year 20 something. Um, But it is it is, you know, on the horizon and it's everywhere, Mary. It's, you know, to add to what Teresa said, I mean, it's it's baseball. It's public policy. It's people working at universities. It's uh, Latin entertainment. I mean, Spanish language music and Spanish language artists outsell I mean, where would the radio, where would the uh, record industry be without, you know, the music that's coming from South America, from Mexico, from Latin American countries, but also homegrown here in the United States? Um, So it's a tremendous boon. And just also to also understand the history of things were built in this country, not just, you know, by itself. Latinos were very much engaged. The movement, you know, everybody... Uh, talks about Cesar Chavez and that movement and how important that was and how did it lead up to this moment to where we are politically and the impact it's had on public policy. And are people going to continue to pay attention to this community that is now 62 million strong in the United States? And I I would say the answer to that is you ignore the Latino community at your own peril, uh, particularly in the business community If you want to uh, be successful, I will leave it at that.
0: No, I, and I tell you, when you talk about the history, I think my son who's a historian was most impressed. He studies labor when I showed him a picture of me with Dolores Huerta Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he was like, Oh, now you've made it.
1: (laughs) And and she's still going strong. She's still Uh, out there, you know, knocking on doors and making noise and getting people fired up and getting engaged, you know, politically. And so it's, she's an amazing woman.
2: Yeah one, of the high, yeah, one of the highlights of my career as a reporter was when I got to sat down, sit down with her and interview her. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, so much we owe our pioneers. Now, we are all in this together. So although sometimes it doesn't seem like it, can you tell our listeners what being a good ally means to you and how people can improve their allyship so, so that we can meet these uh, challenges together?
2: You know, I think about that. Myself, too, uh, as a Latina woman, like how I can be an ally to other communities, to um, Black, Indigenous, um, LGBT communities. And I think um, part of it is educating myself, you know, um, about other communities, histo- from history to cultural nuances. So it's on me, like, to be – and so I, I would uh, – it's, it's on me to – educate myself about communities that are different than the one I grew up with or that I live with. So I would say the same thing, you know, educate yourself, read, watch, uh, listen, observe, you know, and, but I think it's sometimes hard. Like I had a non-Latino person ask me recently what, you know, they were trying to be, um, educated, or trying to be sensitive, rather. And she asked me, what term should I use? Should I use Latino, Latinx, Hispanic? (laughs) And that, like, you could write a whole book about that. (laughs) But but the answer is, there's no one right, right term. So Latino, Latinx, Hispanic, there's no one size fit all term to encompass the diversity of our community. And so just trying to understand things like that, There, for a little more on the terms, like it's geographical, there are geographical differences. So you're going to hear Latino or Chicano more in LA, where I am. In Miami, they're going to be more Hispanic. A lot of people don't like the word Hispanic because it was coined by the government and the Census Bureau. Uh, but most social scientists show that Latinos which is just an umbrella term that most Latinos identify with their, their or their parents or grandparents' country of origin. So they'll say, I'm Mexican, Mexican-American, Cuban, Cuban-American, Salvadoran, and Guatemalan. Um, most people tend. Uh, but these labels, um, there's, there's a lot of discussion about the labels and especially Latinx, which Pew Research did a study and found that only 3% Of Latinos use Latinx. A lot of Latinos, especially the older generation, like my mother, don't even understand what it means. But I think it's also, there's been a lot of backlash against Latinx, but I think it's important because it's a gender-inclusive term uh, because Spanish is a hierarchical language. Most nouns are either masculine or feminine. I think it's important, especially for the younger generation in the U.S. in particular, and in academia, have embraced this term Latinx. But that's just an example of like reading about to understand the differences. I mean, I, I know it because I lived it, because the journalists have been writing about the community for more than 25 years. But I think as an ally, it's just even reading about the terms and understanding our differences is a good way to be an ally.
0: Exactly. And we can all get more educated. Um, Larry, I know you have so much experience in this space. Are there companies or organizations that are positive examples of how corporations should approach allyship? Uh, Any good examples of things that are being done?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, before I fully answer that, you know, I've been involved uh, with the Jewish community for a long time, and they have prided themselves on you know, reaching out to the various diverse communities in the U.S. And I think there's a really good example there to be set in terms of, you know, playing on what Teresa said um, about how to communicate. I mean, for sure, you know, there's a bunch of a large number of Latinos when you say, you know, why should it matter that we're engaging with the Jewish community? But I think we have things that we can learn from each other. Um, I think it's, it's very similar, you know, with the black community. We can learn from the trials and tribulations Um, you know, in the history of the black community and and the evolution in the United States. And so we have to have that line of communication open um, always. And we're not always going to agree. There's going to be some really frank and probably hurt feelings in some of these conversations. But I think it's important that you have them rather than not. I know some of the conversations that I've been privy to and a part of uh, with the Jewish community have not been, you know, the best. (laughs) Uh, But it has also helped people reach, hopefully, an understanding of, you know, what what they've sought in America, and again, sort of, you know, where are the le- lines of commonality, whether it's education or that immigration um, evolution into the U.S. So, that said, I mean, one of the things, real quickly, that you know we're seeing see in corporate America is, again, going back to what I said about businesses uh, ignore Latinos at, at their own peril is. Folks are paying attention and they're fully understanding. One example is uh, the entrepreneurial community. I mean, one of the fastest growing sectors or the fastest growing sector of business ownership is among uh, Latinas, Hispanic women. And so in order to be successful, if you're a company, you need to recognize that everybody talks about diversity. Go to any corporate website in America and you'll see, oh, we care about diversity, equity and inclusion. But who's actually doing it? And I think that's something that's very important that our our leadership is paying attention to. Are you here in the community when we need you or are you not? Are you just sort of showing up, you know, when it's convenient? And I think that's an ongoing discussion, ongoing line of communication with, with a lot of folks in corporate America, some very positive, some not so positive.
0: Well, thanks for that. And I I have to say, Larry, that some of your comments about learning from other communities, working with different communities, and how sometimes there can be friction, it brings up the issue of a recent scandal resulting from conversations among members of the Los Angeles City Council. And one member has resigned. uh, And there was a lot of hurt caused, uh, both within communities and with other communities now, did that point to a challenge when minorities are seeming to compete over representation in a country, in a society where it's, there's still inequity? Teresa?
2: Yeah. So first off, I just want to say this um, racist, bigoted conversation um, that was held by Nuri Martinez, um, who's now the former head of the LA City Council, to other city council members Kevin DeLeon and Gil Zedillo, um, who have not resigned and a union leader who has resigned is just the worst, most abhorrent conversation. It was, it was recorded and released, um, about, uh, a, a week and a half ago. And what that conversation showed was it was just blatant racism, um, against the black community um and that's very harmful i think to the larger community here in los angeles and but it also revealed internal racism in the latino community Um, and that's one of the columns that i wrote about for calo news that um, we have uh, our own racism within the community so Within the Latino community, often the whiter you are, the more beautiful you're considered. Um, Also, just, you know, if you turn on Spanish language television, not in just the U.S., but in Latin America, you're going to see the whitest Latinos. But that's not, um, there are white Latinos, there are black Latinos, there are brown Latinos. We are not one race. Latinos is not a race, it's ethnicity. Um, But a lot of this um, kind of preference to who's lighter, um, criticism of who is darker in the conversation they um, disparaged uh, uh, people from Oaxaca, which is a mostly indigenous state. Um, and so I think a lot of this conversation, you know, it's harmful to uh, black Latino relations in LA, but it's, it was just harmful within the community because it, it, it just disgustingly showed the own internal racism that exists in our community and we need to check that. We need to start calling people out within our own community when they say racist things, not just about other communities but about within our own community, the, the, the preference and disparaging that happens because of people's skin tone within our own community.
0: Larry, do you have some things to add on that particular scandal and maybe what can be learned from it uh, moving forward?
1: I would absolutely forcefully echo that. that's completely unacceptable uh, what was said. It, it also plays into, unfortunately, what those who are in power now would like to see, although no one would ever publicly admit. I recall uh, when I was working at Naleo twenty years ago uh, during you know the annual the, the decennial census process, when there were headlines in the media saying. You know, the growth of the Latino community is sure to cause friction between Blacks and Latinos, right? Is it the media making these assumptions? And I'm not saying some of that wasn't true, but there were a lot of discussions going on behind the scenes that weren't necessarily publicized where Black and Latino leadership were trying to have the kinds of conversations that were were important to talk about redistricting and and the sharing of power so that the powers that be weren't going to say, Hey, what can we do to make sure that these communities are divided since they're the two you know, largest uh, communities growing in the United States. And so um, that's the unfortunate piece is, does it set, set that back? Um, I think to a certain extent it does, but you know, the, I think the smarter folks will step up and say, let's not let this, you know, cause the, the, the our political growth, are where the community has grown um, let's sit down and discuss and I hopefully that that's going to help uh, moving forward to a certain extent
0: yeah there is that narrative that somehow it's a zero-sum game and you have to be fighting over the crumbs and as you say larry some folks in power really would like to encourage that narrative instead of having united folks working for progress for everyone
1: i mean mary i can share you know so many stories I've been involved, blessed to be involved in uh public policy fights like the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act here in Washington, where I've seen organizations like the National Urban League, the NAACP and others stand and fight alongside the Latino community around uh issues like bilingual the bilingual provisions in the Voting Rights Act when you know, other policymakers were trying to trying their their darndest to to make sure that that was not included in any reauthorization. And so, you know, those kinds of fights, again, while behind the scenes and never highly publicized, when you see that, th- those are the kinds of things that are really important.
0: said, do you think there can be some learnings from from this whole incident?
2: Yeah, I mean, apart from the horribly um, racist, bigoted, and homophobic. Language that was used um, by these politicians in this recorded conversation. I mean, the learnings is we have to just call out racism and bigotry always. Um, but I, I think was also concerning in that conversation was just the sort of wheeling and dealing and the power broking behind the scenes and how they were like, "I'm going to get this district and that district." That I think. Um, speaks to the worst of politics. And um, and we need reform. I think we need reform. And what's happening in Los Angeles now is, I think rightfully so, the questioning of the districts and um, even reform to, um, to maybe set up an independent commission, because right now it's currently the city council members who draw the districts. Maybe there needs to be independent commission to do that. And maybe in LA, we only have 15 city council districts, which is quite different than Chicago. LA is bigger um, than Chicago, but Chicago has 50 aldermen. So maybe just too many people have too much power. And so I think that there's some political reform that's needed, but I also think that um, there's just, we need to be more honest and call out racism as as a Latina woman. I, what I wrote is even sometimes these terms we we are passed on from the older generation to the next, the younger generation. So we just have to call it out within our own community. Even if that means saying to our parents or grandparents, we don't use those words anymore. We have to like be more honest about the racism that we have within our own community and call it out.
0: I really love that you elevate that quality of honesty. It can be tough sometimes, but uh, of course, you always end up in a better place when you at least air all of these different issues. Now, since I have two folks so well-versed on these issues in this conversation, I really am curious about what question you would most like to ask each other. So, Larry, have you been thinking of something that you would most like to ask Teresa. Huh,
1: okay. I mean, she has such a vast level of experience, and, and I guess I would ask sort of how you approach stories. You, so you say you've been traveling all over the country, and I'm sure you've seen so many different things. I would I would ask sort of how you approach these stories. Um, you know, do you look to, to humanize uh, yeah, it's just sort of, you know, what is your approach as you meet folks and you, you want to be able to tell their stories?
2: Right. You know, as a journalist, as a Chicana from Chicago, it's always been important to me to tell stories of my own community and other diverse communities. Um, and so part of what I try to do is just look beyond institutions um and do more ground up reporting that's also what i teach i'm very proud that i'm teaching um next generation journalists and half my students are latinx so hopefully i'm imparting in them this idea of um ground up reporting and and um doing stories of notable people but ordinary people um and so that's sort of my approach so um Another story I did, uh, several years ago, I, well, actually, when I moved from Chicago to Los Angeles, thought, okay, that's a road trip. <laughs> so I drove the entire length of the U.S.-Mexico border from the most eastern part of Texas, where the Rio Grande meets the Gulf, all the way across Tijuana. And I also did a lot of camping on the border. And I wrote an essay about that for Time Magazine. And what I really found was, how just geographically beautiful the border is. And, you know, this was when Trump was running for president. And so I asked people along the way, do we need a wall? And generally the reaction was laughter, or do you see the wall that's already there? And I remember one time crossing into, from Big Bend National Park, which is a stunning place where I camped, you can take like a little boat and then a truck into the nearest Mexican village. And I went there. And I started interviewing a group of women and I said, you know, that there's this assumption that all Mexicans want to come to the U.S., which is just false. But I asked them, are you interested in coming to the U.S.? And their answer to me was, oh, well, only to go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> so this idea too, like, so my work has been a lot about breaking these stereotypes um, and just trying to change this, uh, the, the often the dominant media narrative. Um, especially around immigration.
0: Well, I like that. I like these little human human stories you bring to it. Teresa, uh, is there something now? Larry's on the other coast, uh, and he's involved a lot in policy making. Is there some question that you would like to ask him?
2: Yeah, I do. I since you're, um, you know, uh, remember our days when you. Met you when you were first working for um, then State Senator Chui Garcia, who's now in Congress. Um, so, you know, you've got a lot of insight into Latino politics. Do you think we will ever have a Latino or Latina or Latinx president?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a very good question. I do. Uh, I don't know that I could necessarily pinpoint, you know, when that will be. It seems like a logical evolution um, into where the community is going um, as we grow. I mean, there's been this incremental growth, right? I mean, you look at the U S Senate, you know, you would now have Senator Alex Padilla, Ben Ray Lujan, a number of folks where, you know, when I first came to to DC in 99, I was like, you know, you could fit the number of uh, Latino members of Congress in a phone booth. Um, And so, it seems like the logical evolution. Um, I hope that I will see it in my lifetime, but yes, I do believe there will be a, a Latino president at some point.
0: though so you're not naming names.
1: <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know look, I think across the board, whether it's the Republican political bench or the Latino uh, political bench, I mean, you have to sort of look at you know who's out there, who are governors. I mean traditionally they've come from you know state level right, statewide governorships. There's not a lot of Latino governors right now, um, so that will have to improve. But I do think that there's a bench. I mean, I recall when I was at Naleo, we always used to talk about that there was a, quote, farm team, so to speak. And that was at the school board level. We're talking, you know, 20 plus years ago. And many of those folks who did run for school board have, have, you know, moved up into the ranks of city council members, state legislators, members of Congress and so forth. So, again, if that if that continues that path, that upward path, it seems inevitable. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's so much involved and politics is always about timing. But um, I think there's still a lot of work to be done, you know, at the state level to build the kind of bench that would be available to run for, you know, that highest level of office.
0: And maybe it will be a woman.
1: (laughs) Oh, without question. Yeah. uh, yes. yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. So what question have I not asked? that I should have, because there's something you really want to make sure our listeners know about on that particular issue or topic.
2: I'll ask um, a question about, since we're talking about Latino president, if we were to have a Latino president, we need we would need all voters, but particularly Latino voters, to support that person. So I would like to, uh, the question I would be asked is just, um, like, what's the Latino voter profile and, you know, what do you think about all these news stories about Latinos turning to the Republican Party? <laughs> so hmm. um, actually, right question,
0: you... <laughs> would you like to
2: answer it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> actually, I want, I want. Um, I actually want, I can answer it, um, but maybe our political expert should, should answer that first.
1: <laughs> Thank, thanks for putting me on the spotlight. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's, it is, I am. Honestly, I have been um, scratching my head a little bit about uh, some of the uh, movement. I mean, there's, of course, they have theories, you know, number one, the Democratic Party has not done a good job of, of outreach. I think they've continued to view the view Latinos as a base vote. And, you know, maybe now after the last couple of cycles, they will finally get it through their head that it's, it's the kind of uh, a voter a voter. Uh, or kind of community that you really have to go out there and work for, right? It's not, I mean, the numbers still are favoring Democrats, but if you look at sort of how it's been going downward, uh, I think it should, should concern Democrats. And frankly, Republicans have done a good job of recruiting uh, good candidates of, of reaching out to the community. Um, and so seeing that there's a vulnerability there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it continues to evolve. I, I, honestly have never felt that it was going to be Latinos were going to be sort of the, you know, 80 percentile, 90 percentile of voting for Democrats. Um, again, going back to our early conversation, Mary, I think it's such a diverse community. Um, there was a piece that came out a couple days ago. Uh, I don't know if it was in the Washington post, but kind of showing, you know, where the Mexican community was in terms of percentages voting for Democrats. You know, you've got the Cuban community that has, you know, for a long time now been supporting, Republicans. Um, And so, you know, there's a level of diversity. And once people start to understand that, you know, I think you're, you're better positioned to, to win that vote over, but you have to engage. You can't just say, oh, we know we're going to count on your vote for this particular reason. And going back to, you know, the issues we've talked about, I mean, economic and jobs that, that impacts everybody, right. And particularly Latinos who, again, often, you know, are working the two and three jobs to make ends meet. So, the, the outreach has to be there. The engagement has to be there. You can't just sit back and and hope that, you know, well, they always voted Democrat. I guess they'll just continue to vote Democrat. It's just, that's not how it works.
0: It's always a good idea to treat people as individuals with individual concerns. How about you, So You want to answer your own question?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I think in the last election, um, there were some competing data. Like, uh, initially, it came out, up like and these are like basically polls or exit polls that like 25 percent of latinos voted republican Uh, but then there was another poll that um, came out and said it was like 15 percent so it could be 15 to 25 maybe up to 30 percent of latino voters who vote republican precisely because you know we can't assume all latinos are liberals or democrats Um, and because of the a lot of where people are coming from you know, it's not just Cubans who tend to vote um, uh, Republican, although the younger generation is voting more Democrat, uh, but also Venezuelans um, are, are tending to vote more Republican because uh, those who fled more recently <clears throat> are, are fleeing what they consider, um, you know, a, a more progressive uh, or type of uh, leadership but I think the story that the media is missing a lot because I've seen lots of headlines about Latino Republicans Latinos are leaving for the Republican Party I think there are probably instead of focusing on like if I were running a campaign which I'm not (laughs) I wouldn't be focusing so much on trying to get those Republican voters I would be trying to focus on getting the Latino voters who don't vote who are eligible to vote and don't vote or who are eligible to become citizens and haven't yet become citizens. I think the bigger concern for Latino political power is apathy. The people who don't vote at all, the people who don't feel that Republicans or Democrats represent them. And so if I were concerned about uh, getting people elected, I would be trying to figure out why people don't vote and getting people who are eligible to vote to register to vote. Uh, case in point, um, after Trump was elected, one of my students came up to me and she was like, uh, Profe, I didn't vote. And I said to her, why, why didn't you vote? She's like, well, I didn't like him and I didn't like her. And I'm like, well, you know, it's important to vote. It's part of the political process. And she goes, and I'm really worried. And I said, Why? And she said because i have family members who are undocumented and i said to her maybe you know if you had vote it might have gone a long way to help your family but so we here we had a person who there was a lot at stake for her not for her personally she was a u.s citizen but for extended family members and she still chose not to vote that's the type of voter we need to be reaching you know if they're if they're if there are Latinos who want to be Republican, it's a free country. Okay. I don't get it personally <laughs> <laughs> because I just don't see that party. I see that party especially um, just supporting racist and and uh, bigoted policies and, and demonizing immigrants, like what's been happening with the governors of, of Texas and Florida, uh, how they're treating uh, immigrants and refugees is really just abhorrent, in my opinion. But I don't think we are going to change minds of people who support those policies. But we need to do is reach that young woman, like my student, who just wasn't engaged in the political process. Those are the voters that, that, um, that need to be reached um, in order to just increase overall the Latino political participation.
0: Sounds like sound advice. So, Larry, did you have a question you wanted to add to the conversation?
1: I mean, the piece that still, you know, is really important to me is this diversity of the community and how people approach it and how business approaches it. Um, you know, I have a lot of conversations uh, with corporate America representatives and sort of how to approach the community. Um, what's the best way to to lend those, what are the best messages and how to reach them And I think it comes back to sort of you know all politics is local, but it's also not making an assumption uh, that people are uneducated or you know just look at kind of the facts that are out there right now in terms of where the community is and how it has grown. This goes back to our sort of you know the positive developments in the community when you see educational levels rising. To be sure, there's still you know a huge problem in our community that we need to address, and that is you know around education and access and, and graduation rates, but those numbers have jumped tremendously over the years um, and so I think that's that's really the important piece it is are you actually paying attention to a community that is sixty two million strong or are you just you know utilizing a cookie cutter approach and saying you know well eventually we'll get around to ensuring that they're buying our products or they're utilizing you know our services that we have to offer
0: Well, thank you both. I really want to thank. Uh Teresa Puente and Larry Gonzalez for coming on and sharing so much knowledge with the listeners of Equal Time. We talked about education and you've really given our listeners quite an education today. So thank
2: you again.
1: Thank you so much for for the invitation, Mary.
2: Thank you, Mary.
0: So, what's keeping me up at night? I will first share what Lynn told me. She said that besides the usual restless legs and aches and pains, what's keeping her up is concern for civilians at the mercy of Russian bombs in Ukraine, and also for the Floridians at the mercy of climate events. I think I'll follow Lynn's lead and prioritize those suffering and surviving in these challenging times. And I have to put in a plug for the importance of voting, something that's been in my thoughts for a while now, and not just because I cover politics for roll call in my regular columns. We cannot have a functioning democracy unless every citizen plays a part. It was a lesson learned from my mother, the faithful poll worker, and my three eldest siblings, civil rights activists who sacrificed for that right. Let me know what's keeping you up. Fill me in with a tweet at mcurtisnc3. I want to thank the Fiscal Note Executive Institute for their partnership and support of today's programming. They provide a community for senior executives at global companies across industries to come together to discuss top issues affecting organizations, including diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility. To learn more about their efforts, visit executiveinstitute.fiscalnote.com. And I wanna thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.